Hello and welcome everyone to the Voices of E-Learning podcast coming to you as our first video podcast. We are really excited that you found us today and we're really excited for our guest, Mike Belcher. He is the Director of EdTech Innovation for HP. He's also known as the Education Guy. Uh, so Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. JW, thank you. Glad to be here. And, and thank you for joining us again. We did this about six months ago and the world looked a little different then than it did the first six months before that. And here we are in 2021. I can't believe it's finally here. I know, I'm hoping that it looks different and better in another six months, yes. Exactly, at the end, I would have asked you to come back. I'm already asking you, come back in six more months, give us some more good news. Uh, but today's topic we wanna to dive into is uh, a fun one. It's funding for schools and school districts. Um, as you know, and many of our listeners know, uh, over $13 billion with a B has been uh, poured into education in the last year or is coming this year, depending on uh, funds being released. That's a really big number. That's never enough, but very helpful. Um, and so we want to kind of get a little background from your perspective on what is the best use of these dollars? Yeah. So just foundationally, right, uh, CARES and that that funding that went to K-12 was called ESSER, E-S-S-E-R, uh, and really uh, was stimulus funding and to help schools get over the hurdles that were being put in front of them, right? They came out last March. Um, that that 13.2 billion went directly to K-12, um, but each state got to handle it in their own way, right? And so it wasn't universally applied and every state handled it differently and it was pretty messy, right? And kind of hard to grasp and understand. Uh, and honestly, 13 billion was not enough. Uh, you know, when we, we went and looked back at uh, funding that came out of uh, the 2009 recession, there was $70 billion that went into K-12 at that point without a pandemic in place, right? Uh, so the, the funding, while it was a lot of money and 13 billion is a huge amount of money, um, wasn't enough. And so one of the things that we're excited about is that in this stimulus that was just passed a month ago, there's an additional 54 billion coming to uh, K-12 this year. And any of those unused dollars that came out of the ESSER one funding can extend into this year. So they'll have until December 31st of 2021 to spend those in addition to another 54 billion coming uh, to, uh, to schools and to states as well. Our challenge is, it's still gonna be handled by each state and each state independently. I know we don't wanna go through each state's uh, rules and requirements on this podcast. They haven't even time. released them yet, yeah. Well, and they're, and they're not even ready yet, but once yeah. those dollars start to become available, hopefully sooner than later, uh, what first would be your advice on um, how quickly to spend them? Are they gonna be here today, gone tomorrow? Is it something they should hold on to? Um, what would be some scenarios as far as speed of making decisions and what can they do now to prepare for when those dollars are ready? Yeah, great question too. So um, we, we think you're gonna need to make sure you put a plan in place once you know how much dollars are coming to your particular district um, to get those spent before the end of the year. This is one-time funding. Now, CARES 1 was extended. There is a potential for this ESSER 2 dollars to be extended as well. 
I just don't think I would want to bet on that if I was in a, a district leadership role, right? So we definitely believe you should put a plan in place to, to spend those dollars. And because they are one-time dollars, some of the guidance that we're providing really wraps around, how do I get the most value for one-time dollars in the longer term, right? And so I think that's what your plan needs to be. Yes, you're going to have some immediate needs for those that revolve around um, you know, how do I take care of students that are being affected uh, by COVID, by this uh, inability to maybe be in classroom all the time? So we need to have those dollars spent in meals for those students who are at risk for technology and internet access, et cetera, and pulling those into place. There's been a shortage of devices as well, right? We can't build them fast enough. So I think that's going to continue into this year. So if you need devices, we would recommend that you get those orders in as quickly as possible, right? Sadly, we believe that the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic is gonna be affecting us for a lot longer than anyone wants to talk about. But putting those plans in place right now, we think are highly important. And one of the key areas that I would be looking at is really what you know we call hybrid, it's called high flex. There's all sorts of other names for it, but it, it's really preparing for this model where we're gonna have some students in class and we're going to have some students virtual, how do we bring them together, right? And how do we have this hybrid delivery of, of that classroom experience for students? That we think is going to be with us uh, a lot longer than I think anyone wants to think about as well. And honestly, you know, if you think about, you know, being sick or having snow days or any of those sorts of uh, challenges, those can kind of go away, right? Because you've got the ability to bring students into that classroom experience or that environment that we just have never had before. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast, uh, you know, building a better future to where hybrid learning isn't good or bad. There's good hybrid learning and there's bad hybrid learning. And we want to plan for the best possible on-site hybrid and unfortunately online only if this happens again or something similar um, so that we're over-prepared. I think that's something 2020 uh, taught us is a lot of us were in many ways under-prepared for something like this. And now we've got the chance to over-prepare, but we really have to do it now. Um, in the, this in summer, we should be doing tons of professional development. <laughs> this is that chance for us to, to, to really set up Great instruction is great instruction. Great instructional strategies are great instructional strategies, right? And so thinking through how do I up my game, we may never have another opportunity like this because we can fund that now. Um, I think if, if I were looking, my first bet would be, boy, I'm gonna bet that we're gonna have hybrid learning for a lot longer than we, we wish. And how do I create this great instructional experience with that as my number one sort of uh, goal? And I think a lot of districts are have been doing professional development, obviously, for the last uh, several months and quarters and are continuing this spring. But some real uh, intense training this summer sounds like a good idea. This conversation actually started um, in talking about um, with a lot of schools, not with students uh, over the last year. Um, have schools taken advantage of this opportunity to do some real infrastructure rebuilding to, uh, you know, do construction or relay wires, things like that, that typically you don't want to do during the school year. Have you seen much of that? And do you anticipate more coming here this spring? Yeah, so, so we have, right, and a lot of interest in this hybrid sort of environment. And, you know, so some of the things we've been doing is working with third parties and other folks and 
how do we deliver a much easier to deliver instructional experience, whether you're in person or not, and, and at the same time, and so how do we simplify that? Um, I, I don't think that's all the answer, right? Because if we're not improving our instructional strategies along with it, uh, you know, installing new cameras and new uh, video monitors, right, that we can see the students easier inside of that classroom are good. They are, no matter what, they, they are good things. But boy, wasting this opportunity to improve our instructional strategies, thinking about more project-based learning, how we get students solving real-life problems and integrating all the resources that we have at our disposal, I think is just such a great opportunity. Absolutely. And so for those district administrators, school board members, parents even that are involved heavily in their schools and districts, where is the best first place to start? There's a lot of information coming at folks, a lot of different directions they could go. Is it uh, planning? Is it hardware? Is it waiting for budget numbers? How do you tie it all together? Yeah, I, I would think you need to start putting plans in place, right, of what would I do if money was no object, right? <laughs> what right. is those most important sort of approaches? And then prioritizing those, right? And thinking through with your whole community, right? Uh, we, we've been doing some sessions. And I just wrote an article on LinkedIn about bringing the public back into public education by Dr. Quentin Shepard uh, out of uh, Victoria School District. And uh, this idea of bringing the public into grasp and understanding what this is all about and bringing them into this sort of complex decision-making criteria is a really great thing to do, but you're gonna have to have a plan and start making those priorities, right? Uh, and so if you start making this list of, here's what we'd really like to be delivering, what would education look like if money was no object? Uh, I think that's where you start from with this vision and then start to work your way backwards. One of the areas that I think is really important that I hope folks will begin to look at, so this hybrid environment, incredibly important, the, the, the PD and instructional strategies. When we start to think about the value that you will get out of uh, whatever spend you do over the long haul, um, one of those areas that we sure do, do, do not want to miss this opportunity is going to be revolving around STEM and, and uh, really Kate, right? So your career in technical ed, uh, those programs, right? If we think about it, the world has changed. Certain careers don't have a value anymore. Certain industries may never come back again. And so how we start to think about our career in tech ed and the value of STEM is going to be really, really critical. I love that. And, and I believe STEM, now STEAM, and then STREAM, it's all kind of coming together, that this is a critical time to really think in big ways and think about how do we involve STEM in all aspects of learning? Um, how do we uh, have a project for our history class that is building something that reflects what we're learning, things like that? Yeah. Um, even the, the maker rooms were kind of a separate room. And now let's bring those into the all the classrooms, let's bring the classrooms into the maker room. Um, are you seeing that kind of sea change as well that hopefully we're coming becoming a little less compartmentalized in just STEM, just maker, just certain areas and, and kind of tying it all together for the students who can handle that kind of uh, modality and learning these days? You know what, they're gonna to have to no matter what, right? Uh, their futures are gonna dictate that, you know? And as we look at data, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, what a STEM background means to your ability to earn an income, you earn 40% more in STEM-related jobs than non-STEM-related jobs. The job rate growth is like uh, two and a half times 
faster growing in STEM-related careers versus non-STEM-related careers. And, and honestly, I think you're going to start to see this blurring of what traditionally was not considered STEM with STEM components leaching in. And so how we start to think through that, right? Uh, if you had just a sales and marketing background, but with no data analytics kind of back behind that, you're probably setting yourself up for failure, right? So we yep. think about data science and what that means to almost everything that we do, whether it's a science-related or a technology-related sort of career, it is involved in everything now. And that's a great segue into, you know, thinking about these investments in, you know, longer term, maybe more hardware versus software, but also the skills and thinking of the future, not just building for what is needed today. What other areas do you you know foresee in your crystal ball needing to be addressed now because they're going to become even more uh, critical for student learning moving into the next couple of years? I, I would say first and foremost, if you aren't having discussions inside of your curriculum instructional group, inside of your career in tech ed around data science, you are really doing your students a disservice. Um, and, and maybe I'll give you a, a, an example of a school system that, my God, I've been so impressed with them. So uh, Gwinnett County Public Schools, just uh, on the outskirts of uh, Atlanta, is actually in process of working with a slew of industry partners, other educational partners, businesses in the area that uh, really focus in on artificial intelligence and data science. And they're building a curriculum for a new high school that will be based off of data science. And so building the standards out with the state, they're building out the curriculum program, and their whole goal is to have a data science program from pre-K through grade 12, that based on if you live in this particular area of town, your students are gonna get that experience. It's not a magnet school, it's not a STEM school. This is, you're gonna have a foundational understanding of how data science integrates into every subject. And hopefully come out of that if you have an interest in data science with a great career track. Yeah. I love that it's no longer uh, waiting till high school to make some of those decisions. Oh, I'm going to go into shop or data science or a specialty, but really building it from the ground up, coding, data science, um, right alongside reading and writing and, and the STEM. Um, you mentioned partnering with industry, and that seems to be another trend that we're really seeing um, to help close the gaps on what's taught at the high school or even the college level um, with what the jobs of tomorrow are gonna need, even the jobs of today. Um, well, what else can you say to the importance of, uh, I think earlier you said uh, bringing the public back into public education. That's not just parents and community leaders, that's the businesses that are local and, and regional. Um, what other advice would you have to districts to how do you start those partnerships and, and what do they really look like? Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity if you're, for example, a superintendent or a, a, a leader inside of a district, if you aren't already, and I bet the vast majority of our superintendents are connected to your community colleges, tech colleges, universities in your area, starting there as a, as a first point is, is an absolute necessity. What you'll find out is that in many cases, particularly community and tech colleges, they're already connected into the business community. They're already connected into the manufacturers associations because they're skilling their workers up, right? Uh, so this ability for you to connect in at this sort of funnel sort of level, how do I get these students ready for these opportunities? I think grows exponentially, right? When you have that sort of alignment and then creating your own relationships with those 
business associations, with your key employers, et cetera. What a great opportunity to, to, to go get that firsthand knowledge and understanding. So you, you get a better feel for, wow, where are, they, where are they having shortages in finding employees? What kind of pay scale does that look like? Are these jobs that you know, earn above the, the uh, poverty level, right? Uh, so that you can support yourself. What does that future begin to look like? So then as you formulate your own plans for career in tech ed, you're hopefully setting your students up for success, right? And for where there is gonna be opportunity inside of your own community. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big concern we hear on brain drain and losing a lot of those students. Well, I, I think we all have to take that on, right? Those of us in business, we have to be providing that guidance down in through our colleges and universities and down into our K-12s. Uh, and I think that alignment between those business associations, between colleges and universities and K-12 is the perfect way to kind of make that work. Absolutely. And it seems there are even more schools that are virtually or before the pandemic uh, bringing in uh, live uh, representatives from different jobs, different careers, different, uh, you know, things at young ages to really kind of expand just a, not a, having a career day once a year, but really weaving in again to the curriculum every week, having real life problems, but also real life people that are doing those jobs. Um, is that something you've seen a lot of? I do it. So, hey, there you go. So, so yes, absolutely, right? Whether that's elementary schools and getting them to understand what does an engineer do? What is the future going to look like? How do we get them excited about things like data science and virtual reality and 3D printing as manufacturing, right? All of those sort of high growth areas, we think we need to reach them as early as possible. So don't, don't be afraid to reach out to your, your industry area uh, experts, partners that maybe you do business with, uh, someone like HP, right? We come in and do those conversations all the time. Believe it or not, I just did um, kind of a, a thinking about the future and where STEM is going to explode jobs uh, for a, um, a group of students who uh, are incarcerated, right, right now, and helping them start to think about, wow, Maybe this is my opportunity to start to explore a career that might actually earn me a living versus moving out on the street when I'm 18 and have nowhere to go and no prospects, right? Uh, so I, I think there's opportunities to engage your, your industry partners in almost every turn. And you will find folks that, that really do want to do this, right? You just have to ask. Yeah, and technology's made that easier than ever. Um, they don't have to take half a day off to, to come into the site. They can schedule 15 minutes, 20, 30 minutes and have that real connection and answer questions and uh, really build that connection. Another audience that we kind of briefly mentioned earlier uh, that is easier to connect with than ever is the parents. Um, and as we've talked about uh, the parents, uh, many have a newfound respect for teachers as they became teachers in some capacity in 2020, um, but also they got a hands-on close-up view of the curriculum and of the things that their students should be learning. And most of it really great, but also I've heard a few uh, parents say, I've got some ideas for the school now that I know more so what's going on. What would your advice be for connecting better with parents? And then also, how does that play into helping parents get devices in this hybrid learning model? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first part of that question, you know, and I think it kind of revolves back into that public, back into public education, right? Uh, and so doing those reach outs, we've seen some really sort of uh, cool tools that have allowed 
parents to connect back into district leadership and provide guidance and feedback. Um, one of those companies that I really like is one called Thought Exchange. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but mm -hmm. they provide that sort of direct linkage and a way to get ideas and kind of populate them down. Um, that, that's a really great tool. We hear a lot of superintendents leverage and use that to get to consensus, right? And that just not the loudest voice gets heard. Everyone gets to hear every idea and vote on those ideas, right? So uh, when you find a really great one that everyone agrees on, well, that that pretty much you know uh, aligns you as a leadership team. Maybe we better go explore this, right? How, how does that work? Uh, I think there's opportunity too, right, with those devices and internet access going into homes that may have never had that before, to reach out to those parents as well. I know uh, some of the best practices we've seen, uh, particularly where we're doing virtual instruction, is to set at least a 10 minute session with that child and their parent in Zoom via the teacher or via the teacher and, and uh, principal, just to make sure and check in on them. How are they doing? Do you know there's additional resources available? One of the things that, that we've been uh, highly promoting is a free tool that uh, HP developed. Really, uh, originally it was for developing countries in helping educate them towards entrepreneurship opportunities and get training in entrepreneurship. So from understanding design thinking to if I had an idea for a business, how would I take it through that process? How would I understand financial sort of models? How would I operationalize this? How would I market my business? All that is free. It's in, I think, 12 languages now. Those are the kinds of things that, that we're, we're, we're advising our customers to please make sure you get those resources out, not just for your students, but to your parents. This may be that opportunity for them to learn as well, right? And create a living and better their students' lives. I love that. And it's really amazing how the ed tech community has come together in 2020. And I hopefully foresee that to continue into 21. Uh, ed tech companies, schools, telecom companies. Um, it's just been really great. And I say that because we've made more progress this year than ever before in a year, probably closing the digital divide but we know we still have a long way to go. Uh, feel free at this point to share any, any numbers you have as far as those uh, that divide closing, but really focus more on what more can we do? And from a practical level, uh, where is the money coming from for that? Is that gonna be in this funding? Is that separate funding? Should schools be asking telecom companies, local businesses to chip in or, or all of the above? Um, I know that's a big question on a lot of listeners, you know, minds going into this year. Uh, I know it's a big question for you too, but, but see if you can give us your take on that. Yeah. So you think about $54 billion, that is a huge amount of money added onto the 13. And at least in our current administration, I know there's interest in extending additional dollars uh, uh, down the road as well. Um, I, I think we're going to have really good funding for this year. So, you know, thinking through these programs that are going to give you bang for the buck in multiple years is the smart move. You can't bank on dollars you don't know are coming or not, right? Uh, we also don't know how the economy is going to fare out of this. I think most of the, the experts are, you know, proselytizing that we believe the economy is going to hold up, right, because of this stimulus. Without it, we probably would have been in a world of hurt at the moment. Uh, but uh, we don't know what that's going to look like when stimulus dollars begin to dry up. And maybe we don't have the same amount of spend when tax revenues aren't as, as solid as they are. So that's where we need to start preparing ourselves, we believe, for those investments 
in areas that are going to give you long-term benefit, right? So if I think about investing in something like, um, you know, a maker environment uh, that I'm going to be able to do real world so uh, problem solving, creating of products and, and, and maybe starting up businesses, thinking about my lab environments where I can deploy those and the students that get a chance to come in can maybe do virtual reality, can do uh, designing work, uh, can do data science on these machines, but then after the fact, make those machines available once the school doors close. And so remote access into those resources so that students can access those down the road. I, I think we have to really think through, right? What are those investments we can do now that will, will bring us dividends down the road? That absolutely is, is gonna be a priority. So uh, the, that, that deep thinking uh, around how we solve these problems, um, hugely valuable. Um, and as far as data goes, right, one of the, the, the biggest numbers that, that I think we have to be thinking through um, is uh, something that comes out of the World Economic Forum. And you know, their projections in the 2000s, 2020s, excuse me, we'll see 70, 75 million jobs go away pretty huge, right? But 133 million new jobs take their place. Now, these are not going to be the low paying, <laughs> uh, not much of a future jobs. They're going to be aimed at things like data science and data analytics and artificial intelligence and virtual reality and software design and engineering. So we have to find ways to attract students into those areas as well and have the resources to support those students. So if you're gonna invest, invest in those sorts of technologies and those sorts of curriculum and resources that will aim that direction so we can really get students going down a right pathway. I love it. And I think it all kind of comes back to your point. Let's, let's get the public back into public education and really think about all stakeholders and get their voices, parents, uh, local businesses, um, everyone to the table now, not waiting till the summer, but now and start making those plans so that we're ready to go. And uh, as I've said before on the podcast, I really feel like this is the dawn of the golden age of education, not just online learning, but education in general. This has really opened a lot of doors for a lot of our students as well as our educators. And, uh, and the future is exciting, but it's gonna be a lot of work. Obviously 2020 was more work than anyone should have had to have uh, done uh, on all ends, um, but hopefully uh, everyone is really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, seeing that this hard work is starting to pay off and will continue to pay off for our students, which is one of our most valuable uh, assets. So Mike, this has been a phenomenal conversation. And so I don't know if I'm gonna wait six months, but I'm gonna have you back on uh, sometime here uh, later in 2021 so that we can continue this conversation, continue to talk about the good things that are happening uh, in education because there are a lot of good things happening. So thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, glad to be here, JW, anytime. Thank you, appreciate the, the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. And to my audience, thank you so much for joining us, whether you're watching us or listening to us. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, checking out this episode, past episodes, and we'll look forward to seeing you again on a future episode. Thanks again. And always, always keep learning.